two weeks. Two weeks. That's all I have to survive. Just another 10 days until school finishes. Until the madness of running around, chasing hockey, athletics, cricket, athletics, hockey, it's never ending. And if you've got kids, you'll know what I mean. We've got over the Nat 5, we've got through that, but now everything seems to be converging in the last two weeks of school and there's just not a minute of peace. Hi, it's Jonathan Williams. We're back again. It's the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Buying, selling, renting or investing in property. That's what we're trying to do. Help you float your boat and get you on the property ladder. I'm sitting here at GHK watching some more hockey. I tell you what, if somebody had told me that it would be a good idea to get into hockey, I thought that's fantastic. But then if they actually told me that it was an 11th month month season, I tell you what, I'd be having second thoughts. We're almost at the fag end. Well, we are at the fag end of the hockey season. There's no more matches. And I think everything will grind to a dramatic halt at the end of the the school the school season so we're we're almost there as far as that's concerned it's all hustle and bustle at the uh, high school looks as if there's some sort of parents meeting so sorry for the background noise i tell you what we're going to do today we're going to talk about closing dates again i'm going to talk about three specific scenarios that i faced last week when I was advising clients in connection with closing dates. Some success, some failures, but it's probably a good point to let you see what is actually out there at the moment. It really is a strong, strong market in Glasgow. I don't know what it's like where you are if you're not in the Glasgow market, but certainly Glasgow is a real strong market and it is a struggle to get yourself onto the property market, onto the property ladder rather, um, or get something that uh, you want to rent. It really is becoming a bit of a struggle. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about three particular scenarios that I faced last week. And then at the end of the podcast, what we'll do is we'll have a little bit of a recap. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the education slot that I did for my BNI chums. It's on productivity and the six myths of productivity. We're on to the myth that everything matters equally, but uh, anybody who knows anything about productivity, they'll know that that's just a pile of old doo-doo. So listen, let's get started and let's talk about closing dates. Listen, when we've been talking about closing dates over the last wee while, it must maybe come across to a lot of you that it's all doom and gloom and you definitely need your 5, 10, 15% over the home report value to even get a sniff 
of a decent property in Glasgow. And, you know, by and large, you know, there is some truth in that. But, you know, there are some stories out there. And I'm going to recount three particular stories, which will hopefully, upon listening to these, you'll get some heart if you're you're struggling to get that deposit together. The first one is about uh, a client of mine who, in essence, got a property on the same street that he'd lost out on the week before and ended up paying 12 grand less than the property that he had put the offer in for first time round. And then the second story is about a client of mine who in fact unbelievably in the heart of the West End managed to pick something up at 10 grand under home report value. And then finally a little story about how it's so important to get as much information for the person who's negotiating the price because you know what knowledge is absolutely key when you're going to be negotiating for a client so listen let's kick out or rather let's kick off with regards to the first story which I've called Southside Buses so this is a property on the south side and a fortnight ago we went after this property and we put an offer in the offer was £161,000. We were pretty bullish. We must have been about seven, maybe eight grand over home report value. It was a bog standard tenement flat. I think it might have been built in the maybe early 80s, possibly mid 80s. You know, nothing really to write home about. As with a lot of property, there really wasn't, you know, it was a good solid property and what the sellers had done was they had tarted it up so that it looked pretty much amazing and what ended up happening obviously was that there was a lot of interest that was created by the property and by the estate agents and the estate agents had done a pretty good job and I think in the end they ended up getting five or six offers. So we weren't successful at the closing date a fortnight ago and the property went for something like 170 so we'd put in seven or eight grand above home report value and the property went for another eight grand over that I mean absolutely nuts goodness knows what the second price uh, the second offer was because I guess that they had paid a handsome figure for that particular property. So my client was pretty despondent, but he then came back to me a week later and said that, you know, there's another property in the same street. And in fact, it was in the same, not the same block, but it was the same type of property. Exactly the same, but it wasn't as tarted up as nicely as the last property. But my client still said that he wanted to go in at the 162 and that's what we put the offer in at. And I think there was less interest in this particular property. But we did feel that our offer was going to be a strong offer. But really, on the basis that the other property had gone for 170, we weren't really holding out much hope. And you know what? We ended up getting the property. We got the property um, at just a shade over £162,000. Client was absolutely ecstatic. So the moral of the story is that 
if you are looking to buy a property, unless it is something that you've absolutely fallen in love with, is more or less a one-off, then that's really only the time you should fill your boots and just put as much as possible into the property. And you also, if you're going to do that, you also must be understanding that you're going to have to be living in that property for a significant period of time. Because the bottom line is, if it's a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom, it's still just a one-bedroom, a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom. And unless you can knock walls down and create a two-bedroom from a one or a three-bedroom from a two, the only added value that you're going to get is the decor. And if you're telling me that that property was eight grand more expensive, upon what reason was it eight grand more expensive? A lick of paint? Some nice furniture? That's not going to cost you eight grand, is it? So what I would be saying to you is that it is like buses. Buying a property, there'll be a one There'll be another one along in the next wee while. And is it not better for you to be able to stamp your own mark on the property by doing it up yourself? You'll certainly get more from the, the property. You'll probably feel better about the property if you actually put the hard yards in and paint the place up yourself. So don't, for goodness sake, get carried away when you're seeing a property and it's got five or six offers. Because unless you've fallen in love with it and you can add value, I would be saying, you know, you're better waiting for the next bus. So the next story I'm going to tell you is one where we'd negotiated, in fact, I hadn't done the negotiation, but the client had come to me and unbelievably had snipped this price in the West End, 10 grand under valuation, absolutely unheard of. And the reason why he was able to do that was because in essence, the property, although it was being marketed by an estate agent, it was being sold by a builder. And it was being sold through a part exchange scheme. So just to put some meat on the bones here, the owner of the property will have bought a property from a builder and in this particular instance, the seller was, I think, seven and a half months pregnant, clearly didn't want the hassle of people traipsing around their property and had cut a deal with the builder whereby the builder was prepared to take the property on and either offer them some free estate agency or a part exchange and in essence the decision as to how much the property was going to be sold for was left down to the builder to decide and not the actual owner and in these circumstances if you're able to negotiate as a purchaser then the chances are you're going to get a good deal because the bottom line is that the builder is going to be looking just to wash their face on it. They've probably already made their money on 
selling the new property. I suppose the analogy may well be a, a car salesman. That they'll give you a little bit more for your old knackered car, but they won't discount the new car because they'll do their sums and they'll make more from selling you the new car than giving than than shaving money off the part exchange is concerned. And the philosophy is exactly the same when we're coming to buying and selling of property. Indeed, this particular builder must have had a threshold as to what they were prepared to sell the property at. And my client played an absolute blinder and ended up making sure that he got the best deal possible. And that particular deal was 10 grand, 10 grand under the home report value. So he was very lucky, um, you know, buying a property in this market in the West End. But there are opportunities out there. You've just got to get your hands out your pockets and stop looking at the ground and seeing whether or not there are deals there. Don't always assume that the property is going to go for in excess of the home report value. Ask the question and see whether or not you can cut a deal. So the third story I'm going to tell you about is an offer that we were negotiating there on Friday, again on the south side of the city. And again, client had done a fantastic amount of research. She'd found out that the sellers had in fact previously sold the property but had not been able to conclude missives. She had found out that the seller had in fact bought a property from a builder she had found out that that client, the seller, was having to complete their purchase by the 17th of July. And she'd also found out that there were three other properties in or around that street that were for sale. So with all that information, that was really important information because really that made my job a lot easier as far as the negotiation is concerned. There were so many aces up our sleeve that I was confident that we would be able to get a deal done for the client. But the most important piece of information was that the seller, and if you are a seller or become a seller, you just want to keep your cards as close to your chest as possible and certainly don't divulge what this seller particularly did. And that seller divulged that they would be prepared to look at something less than the valuation. I mean, goodness gracious, why somebody as a seller would proffer that kind of information? And to me, that smacks of a desperation. And that's nothing worse from a seller's perspective. And there's nothing greater than from the purchaser's perspective that they see that the seller that there is a hint of desperation and as long as there's nobody else who's looking to buy the property then you as a purchaser can start to drive a really hard bargain but what I think was the the killer for the seller 
was the fact that the seller had not communicated what information that they had said to us, the purchaser, to their estate agent. There was a disconnect between the owner of the property and the estate agent. And it was clear that when the estate agent thought that they were negotiating hard, we knew that the information that she was relying upon was incorrect factually because we'd got the correct information from the horse's mouth. So when the estate agent said to me that the client wasn't prepared to accept anything below home report value, we knew that that was just a lot of nonsense and it was just the estate agent spinning a line. So when you know and have got concrete information from the seller, you can be very confident when you're starting to negotiate. Again, the caveat always is that you need to make sure that you're the only cab in the rank and that there's nobody else there uh, trying to negotiate because ultimately, as soon as the estate agent finds out that there's another party interested, then it'll be gloves off and they'll go straight to a closing date. So in this situation, we went back to and fro. The clock was ticking. It was Friday afternoon. I think the estate agents were as keen as we were to get something over the line by Friday. Close of play on Friday. And that's what we ended up doing. We ended up cutting a deal at 3K below the home report value. And I don't know whether or not we could have done better. I don't think we probably could. And the main reason was that in order, what we were trying to do with the negotiation was to try and establish what their marker, that's to say the seller's marker in the sand was. And my thoughts on this one were that the seller's marker in the sand would have been, and in fact, as it turned out, was the figure that they had accepted way from the original purchaser. You will recall at the start of the story, I had said that the seller had said that they had already sold the property, but the purchaser hadn't come up with the money. And so therefore, in the eyes of the seller, it's going to be very difficult unless there are extenuating circumstances, very, very difficult for the seller to want to accept anything under what they had previously sold the property for. That's only human nature, isn't it? Um, and I guess the uh, timings were such and the pressure on the seller was not as much as to go below, I think, what she had sold her property for first time round. So as with all negotiations, and, and I think it's, it is true of, of all negotiations, you've got to leave a little bit for everybody. There's nothing worse in a negotiation to come away thinking that you've got absolutely everything and the seller has got nothing. A good negotiation is all about the purchaser getting a bit of, of, of the pie, but also leaving something in it from, for, for the sellers. That, in my view, is a good negotiation. So that's all about closing dates. Hopefully that's given you some hope for those of you who are out there who are banging their heads against a brick wall thinking, 
God, not another closing date. I'm going to have to bid another 5%, 10% over. It doesn't always have to be that way. As, and as I say to all of my clients, try as best as you can to avoid the closing date and get on to the one-to-one negotiation. Okay, so that's us just about finished with uh, the hockey side of things. My work is not done for this evening, however. Uh, We now have to hightail it down to decathlon. Uh, For those of you who have got uh, children of a certain age, uh, you will certainly be, no doubt, in and out of decathlon. Our local decathlon thing is down at Brayhead, and we'll be hightailing it down there to pick up all sorts of goodies for number one. She's off doing her Duke of Edinburgh, her D of E, her old silver badge. So I think she's going out in some trek up to Dalwini. But I think the most important thing that she's going to have is one of those silly looking box net type things to keep the midges off. Um, it looks, I think, like a beehive keeper, if you can imagine that kind of thing. It's a square, um, it sits on, on your shoulders and, and looks the most ridiculous of things. But if the midges like you, then you're going to have to get something like that otherwise you're just going to get eaten alive so we're going to hightail it off down there but before i do listen let's wrap up i did my old uh, educational slot on the bni and i'm talking at the moment about productivity and i'm all over a book called the one thing by uh, jay papazan and gary keller gary keller uh, runs the or so he espouses the largest estate agency in the world called uh, keller williams and well this book is is pretty good i have to say uh he it talks very much about the six myths of productivity and the first myth we uh, had a chat about that last time uh, but what i'm going to talk about now is the myth that everything matters equally everything matters equally now You'll know about productivity and you'll know about to-do lists, etc. And this is pretty straightforward, I have to say. But again, so much of all of this stuff is common sense not being common practice. So let's talk first about prioritising because the one thing is all about doing that one thing, identifying that one thing, that by doing that one thing will make everything less complicated, easier, and will allow you to move forward in establishing and achieving the goals that you set out. So what they're saying is that you need to prioritise. You've got your to-do list, okay, and how many of you out there actually go through that and identify the three big rocks, the three things that will, by achieving those or doing those, will move your projects one step closer to completion that is all what you've got to do is you've got to identify those big rocks and then knock them out one after the other identifying the big rocks put them in order of importance and then knock them off sounds simple doesn't it but how many times are we distracted and how many times would we rather just do the easy wins 
and hand on heart, hands up in the air, I'm telling you what, it's so easy to do the easy wins, isn't it? And the reason why it's so easy to do the easy wins is because you actually get a dopamine hit from ticking off that easy to do on your to-do list. And so if you've got 10 to-dos and you've got five easy ones, three big rocks, then you actually feel better having ticked off five out of the 10, notwithstanding the fact that they do absolutely nothing in moving forward on your big goals. So what you've got to try and do is identify what the big rocks are, okay? And then ignore the dopamine hits. Ignore the easy wins and identify and bang out the big rocks. Easier said than done, I know. And what about distractions? It's so easy to be distracted when we're sitting down and we're trying to knock out these big large rocks because these large rocks the reason why you've identified them is because they are probably quite difficult they're not easy wins they probably take some brain power you know it's going to take 45 minutes 60 minutes and that's why you sort of put them off but if you get your environment right then you're going to be less likely to encounter distractions. So make sure that you've got your desk all sorted out. Make sure that if you need some something to drink that you've got it there. Make sure that you've got your, your dictaphone or, or whatever that you need to knock your big rocks out and, and deal with them. Then get yourself organised to ensure that you don't have any of those distractions. I would put your phone off. I would just try and identify how long you need to actually do that particular task. And I would shut off notifications on your computer. I would put your phone on silent and avoid those distractions. Because they've done all this research that if you are distracted then it's going to take 28% 28% of your time is taken up during the day in dealing with distractions imagine if you didn't have any distractions how more productive you would be in nearly a third of your day you would end up doing more productive things what's not to like about that but how many of us actually prioritise our to-do lists and hand on heart knock them out one after the other without distractions and also without relying upon that dopamine heat hit. So listen, give it a go. Have a look at the book, The One Thing, Gary Keller and, and Jay Papazan. And they've got a podcast as well. Just go onto the iTunes and type in the one thing. Guy Jeff Woods, he's pretty good. I do enjoy his, I think he's got about 30 or 40 podcasts on the go at the moment. So have a listen to that and tell me what you think. As I said last week, we're, we're gaining some traction, which is always great to see. I think um, we've had about 
two and a half, maybe nearly 3,000 downloads thus far. Um, I know it's it's small fry when you talk or look at, at some other podcasts, but um, it's quite a niche little thing that we're doing here and hopefully we're helping more and more people. So I tell you what you can do is that if you do like this and you think that there are people out there who would benefit from listening to this, then give them the details of the podcast, give them some details of the website. And of course, as ever, if you want to get in touch with me, then under the usual offices, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. We've got the Facebook page on the emails, jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk. It's all there. So listen, I'm going to sign off now. I'm going to go and watch a little bit more of the hockey. Do get in touch. I hope you're enjoying the Bricks and Mortar podcast. As ever, it is a sideways look at property. Property.